0: Turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. In a few minutes we'll get to verses 15 and 17. So just hold on to it for a while. I remember seeing a cartoon years ago that pictured a three-year-old freckle-faced boy in a hallway... His pajamas were unsnapped, his diaper was baggy. He's got a little teddy bear dangling from his hand and he's standing in front of what appears to be the bedroom door for his mother and dad. The door is shut. But on the door is a little sign written by a weary mother that says, closed for business, motherhood is out of order. (laughs) I've never been a mother, many of you have and are, and whether you have kids at home or they've grown up and moved away, you know that sometimes motherhood can just drive you crazy. Today, of course, is Mother's Day, and so I wanted to spend a few minutes talking to you about what to do, Mom, when you come to wit's end when you just get to the place where you're ready to put the sign on the door that says closed for business, motherhood out of order. The Bible, one of the reasons I love the Bible, there are many, but one of them is the, just the, the vast truthfulness of the pictures that it paints in the scripture about people. And there are a lot of mothers in the Bible who literally come to that point in their life where they're just ready uh, maybe to throw up their hands and, uh, because they don't know what to do. Let me just mention a couple of them to you. We meet the first one in the third chapter of Genesis. Her name is Eve. I want you to think back to the time right after Eve and Adam had eaten the forbidden fruit from the tree. God comes down into the garden and the Bible says that he asked Adam if he had eaten of that forbidden fruit. You remember Adam's answer. Genesis chapter 3 verse 12, Adam said, "The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave to me and I ate." Can you imagine what it would have been like to overhear Adam's speech to God if you were his wife? both of them had rebelled against the Lord's sovereignty both of them had rebelled against the Lord's authority and yet here's Adam standing there blaming Eve for the whole problem and there she stands listening to the whole thing imagine how that kind of statement builds warm loving feelings towards your husband now think what it would have been like to have had two sons Eve loved both of them, but one of them, Cain, murdered his brother Abel. What a tragedy for that first mother. How's she gonna deal with that sorrow? How do you forgive one son who has killed the other son? Bible is clear that this murder was the result of sin that had entered the world through human pride and through rebellion and through greed. And so from Genesis 3, we learn that mothers give birth to their children in an imperfect world. You give birth to your children in a flawed, tragic world, in a world that threatens your family, in a world in which children grow up oftentimes threaten each other. The second mother that we meet in the Bible is found in the 21st chapter of Genesis. Her name is Hagar. You'll remember that Hagar was the surrogate mother who took the place of Sarah and bore a child to Abraham because Abraham and Sarah decided they didn't want to wait for God's timing. But after Sarah got pregnant and had her baby Isaac, who is the son of promise, Sarah decided she didn't want Hagar and her baby Ishmael hanging around anymore. And so she said to Abraham, you need to get rid of them. You need to send them away. And so Abraham did. And so when we encounter Hagar in Genesis chapter 21, she has left the home that she had known She's left the job that she had known through no fault of her own. Now she finds herself traveling in the middle of a burning desert in Beersheba. She's trying to get back home to Egypt, but she wasn't gonna make it. And Hagar was concerned about her son. Bread is gone, the water skin was empty. She placed Ishmael under a bush so she wouldn't have to be a witness to his agony. And she said, I just can't bear to watch this boy die. And so she sat down at a distance away from Ishmael and she waited to die herself. And then in Genesis 21 verse 17, the Bible says that Hagar is given some hope. And God heard the voice of the lad, the Bible says, and the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, what ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up that lad and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. And then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink." I'm absolutely convinced that in the world that you and I live in today, God has called us to be voices of hope in a world that has lost hope. We're to say to the mothers of the world, God has heard the cry of your babies. Don't give up. Don't abandon your children. Look." There's a well, there's food, there's living water, there's the bread of life. You see, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, it is not enough for us to say we're against something without providing something to take the place of the only choice that many women think that they have. And so as we once again now are confronted with the evil, with the religion of abortion, We must step forward as men and women of God and we must say to those young mothers or any mother who is contemplating taking the life of their own child, listen, there's hope. There's another way. There's a better way. Don't abandon that child. Don't kill that child. Look, we're gonna provide. I learned years ago from Jerry Falwell the beginning of the moral majority back in the 70s, Dr. Falwell said, it's not enough for us as believers to stand up and be against abortion. We're against stuff all the time. What we need to do is we need to stand up and talk about what we're for. And so Dr. Falwell established uh, the Home of Hope in Lynchburg, Virginia, in which any, any woman who was contemplating abortion could come and live in that home free of charge. She would be given a free education. She and her child would be taken care of. And if she wanted to raise that child, they would help her do that. If she wanted to give that child up for adoption, they would help her do that. But they offered hope. That's what Hagar needed. Hagar needed hope. That's what the world that you and I live in today, that's what they need. They need hope. And we are the ones who have that hope. We have the bread of life. We have the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to be going into the world and saying to them, we have hope. Life is not over for you. Life is not hopeless. There's a third mother we meet. Her name is Josabeth. You find her in Exodus chapter 2. Deep concern and anxiety are written all over her face when you see her. She's got a tremendous problem. You see, the children of her people are being murdered. They're being thrown into the Nile by an oppressive government. And so she has a child. He's about three months old, and now it's getting pretty hard to hide him. So she's working on a little basket that you see as you meet her, and she's going to hide this little three-month-old in the bulrushes. And so she covers that basket with tar and pitch, and she puts it down among the reeds early in the morning at the river's edge, and she tells the baby's sister to sit there and watch over him at a distance. All of a sudden, Pharaoh's daughter makes her way down to the bathe in the river and she sees the little basket floating in the reeds and she says, what's in that basket? So somebody goes and gets it and of course it's the little baby. She took it to Pharaoh's palace and Moses grew up there. He grew up with luxury and splendor of the greatest empire of the ancient world. But his mother was the one who raised him and trained him because if you'll remember Pharaoh's daughter hired his mama to come take care of him and so he began to learn from her faith he learned his true identity with the people of God when the time came for Moses to make a decision he turned his back on the wealth he turned his back on the power he turned his back on Egypt and he cast his lot with the oppressed people of the Hebrews. You cannot understand Moses. You cannot even explain Moses apart from the contribution to his life story of his mother. When she didn't know what to do, she didn't give up. She kept the faith and she used her creative imagination And she taught her child. And the the marvelous part about that story is, uh, mothers, she got paid for doing it. (laughs) You didn't get that, I would imagine. But Joseph got paid for taking care of her own kid. The final mother I want to mention to you, we meet in the early chapters of the New Testament. Her name is Mary. She also was faced with hardship. Mary was ready to give birth. Her husband Joseph comes in, informs her that they need to travel 70 miles to go from Bethlehem or from Nazareth to Bethlehem because the government's requiring them to register for the census. So they make that 70 mile journey, which was not an easy one to make and certainly not an easy one to make when you're nine months pregnant and ready to give birth. Can you imagine the look on Mary's face when Joseph came back uh, from the inn and he's sort of shaking his head and he says, "Um, I'm sorry, Mary, they say there's no room in the inn. How do you reckon she felt when Joseph started leading her back around to the back to the stable where the animals were kept and she knew that her first child was about to be born? How do you think she felt when she had to gather up everything that she had and she and Joseph and baby Jesus had to flee to Egypt because Herod was on the war path? How do you think she felt when she and Joseph had traveled almost a full day thinking that Jesus was with them all along only to stop for the evening and figure out he wasn't there to begin with and he had never left Jerusalem with them and they had to go back and try to find him. Mary was there at the foot of the cross. She watched her son die. She was a witness to the resurrection Mary knew what it was to weep. Mary also knew what it was to rejoice. Mary knew what it was to have her heart ripped out of her chest. She also knew what it was to have that heart healed. So what about you and your family? Life can be hard. And for many of us, it is hard today. And you may feel like throwing in the towel... Does the Bible have a word for you? It absolutely does. It absolutely does. It's found in Colossians chapter 3. In honor and reverence to the reading of God's inspired, infallible, inerrant word. Would you stand? I'm just going to read verses 15 to 17. Paul says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Father, I pray now that in just these few moments that are left, as we look at what your word is to families today, that we'll remember the hardship of those biblical mothers when we begin to think nobody's ever had it as hard as I have it. We'll begin to think about how you were with each one of them and how you're with us today. We thank you again for our families, and we pray your blessings upon us as we seek a word from you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Mom, what's my word for you today? A couple of things I want to point out to you out of this text. First, Paul says, Let the peace of Christ guide you. That's what he says in verse 15. Verse 15. Let the peace of God rule in your heart. Let the peace of God give you inner guidance. Let the peace of God help you keep your priorities straight. Let the peace of God give you wisdom that you need. In other words, hold on to your faith, trust the Lord. It is the Lord who upholds you. It is the Lord who sustains you. It is the Lord who will give you peace and strength and inspiration. So Paul says, Let the power of God give you strength. Let the patience of God give you calmness. The second thing he says, he says, Remember the message of Christ. Remember the message of Christ. Now, what is that message? It's the gospel. It's the gospel. Because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. And that is the primary message that the world needs to hear today. That it is through the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we have hope in a world that seems to have gone to hell in a handbasket. And mom it is so important for you to give that message of hope and encouragement to your children. But there are other messages of hope in the Bible that you need to remember. That when, when things really get hard for you in trying to deal with all the things you have to deal with in your family, remember this one. I'm with you always, even to the end of the earth. Or In this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, because I, Jesus, have overcome the world. Or how about this? Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Mom, remember, let the peace of God give you guidance. Let the patience of God give you strength. Remember the message. Remember the message of Christ. Paul says right here, let the word of God dwell in you richly. And then he says to sing. He says, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your heart. And we don't just sing when we're in church. You ought to be singing every day. One of the things that I've noticed about my mother as uh, time has passed and and, uh, I go and visit her now, and and, and in the morning, first thing, uh, I hear her when she gets up. Not because she makes a lot of noise, but because she sings. She sings. And she told me, she said, you know, when I wake up in the morning now, the Lord literally gives me a song and so it's some song, some hymn, some song she's heard. It's always a a spiritual song of some sort but she starts singing that as she's getting ready and I, even as an adult, can still be in my room getting myself ready and I can hear her in the kitchen and she's singing. Mom, sing. Sing to your children. Sing psalms and hymns. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all gratitude in your heart. Learn to praise God, even in the midst of frustrations, and you will find that there is a flow of joy that comes out of the inner depths of your soul, and it is absolutely amazing. It is beautiful. The third word for mothers today is this. Make sure you've dedicated your life to Jesus Christ. And you need to understand that your life and your role as a mother is incredibly important. Don't ever put yourself down. Don't say that what you are doing doesn't matter. Because the single most important job that a woman ever has is the job of a mother. Look at what Paul says in verse 17. He says, whatever you do, in word or deed, do all of it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Mom, let your life be an offering of expression of gratitude and praise. Because what you may not know Because, and I'll get to this in a minute, guys. What you may not know is this your work is far more important than you even realize. And speaking on behalf of husbands and and children, we couldn't make it without you. It's that important. So that's what I'd say to mom. How about dad? Does the Bible have a word for dad? It absolutely does. It has a word for children too. If you take that same passage of scripture and you move on down to verse 19, look at what it says. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. That word bitter in verse 19 means to exasperate or to irritate. Some of y'all need to write that down. Men, really, not not the women. They already knew what it meant. To exasperate or to irritate. So let's read it the way it means. Husbands, love your wives and do not irritate them. Really? That's what it means. Unless we, listen, I know you don't, nobody in here does, but there are some men out there, apparently. There are some men out there who have some irritating traits that exasperate other people. Do you know that? None of you, I'm sure. Certainly not me. And unless we deal with that, unless, you know, it's bad enough. All right, so Eddie and I are together three or four days, four four or five days a week, a lot of time during that day. I'm sure, well, no, I'm not. There are some things that he does that irritate me. I probably don't irritate him at all, but there are some things he does. But you know what happens at the end of the day? We get to go home, and I don't have to see him anymore, and he doesn't have to see me anymore till the next day. When you're at home in a box with your wife, She has to deal with your irritating behavior all the time. You need to deal with it. Figure it out. Ask her what it is. If you don't know what it, what is it, honey, that I do that irritates you? She she may say, sit down. This may take a while. (laughs) But that's what the Bible says. It says, don't love them. It says, don't irritate them. Don't exasperate them. Within the narrow walls of a home, those irritating behaviors that we have can become destructive and they can turn a marriage sour. Paul says, husbands, you ought to cultivate a sweet, loving, tender spirit toward your wife. Now, you say, well, you skipped a verse. I did. I skipped verse 18. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting to the Lord. While Paul tells the wife to submit to the husband, he tells the husband, don't irritate her. Does that not seem odd? That seems a little odd to me. Wives, submit to your own husbands. Now, husbands, stop irritating her. There's a reason for that, I think. We could spend some time, and I'm not going to spend much time here on the idea of submission, but let me say this. There is absolutely no problem in the Scripture with the husband being the head of the house as long as the husband's life is centered in Jesus Christ. As long as the husband's life is centered in Jesus Christ, he will love his wife the way Ephesians 5.25 says, you're to love her how? The way Jesus loved the church. How did Jesus love the church? He died for it. I would contend that there is no problem with submission when the husband is doing what God has called him to do, when he's being the head of the house and his life is completely and totally submitted to the will of God. Submission does not imply inferiority of status. Doesn't mean the husband is up here and the wife's down here. It doesn't. Submission is not about inferiority of status. Submission is about respect, respect for the husband's God-given position as the head of the household. Husbands, that word "love" in verse nineteen means that you are to love your wife with an unconditional, non-judgmental, sacrificial love. And there's a specific warning in this verse about being harsh. So we're not just talking about physical brutality. We're not talking about um, physical abuse. And let me just say this. There is never, there is never a time when a man should ever hit a woman period, period. But we're not just talking about physical abuse. We're also talking about uh, mental abuse. There are a lot of men who in their home, they're cold, they're judgmental of everything that goes on in the home. The Bible says, don't do that. That's not what a man of God does. Our wives are to be given kindness. Our wives are to be given understanding. Our wives are to be given acceptance, never harshness. Too many husbands have abdicated all spiritual responsibility to their wife. And they leave the spiritual things to their wives. And if she doesn't lead those things, then their family has no spiritual emphasis. Kids go to church only because mom insists. And it's it's odd to me that today of all days, Mother's Day, I, I see it every year. Somebody will put on Facebook, do you know what your mother wants on Mother's Day more than anything else? She wants you to sit beside her at church. And I think that's, that's a wonderful sentiment. She probably does want that. But dad, shouldn't you be doing that because that's your responsibility? You should be leading your family to worship together. Many women today are frustrated. And I, I talk to them, so I know this. They are frustrated because they desire their husbands to lead their family in Christian Christian growth and maturity, but the problem is these husbands are either too lazy or they're too disinterested to be a real biblical man. If you, husband, are not taking your role as a spiritual leader of your home seriously, you are letting your wife down. But more important than that, you're letting God down because he's the one who gave you that responsibility. One more thing. Does the Bible have a word to say to children? It does. Verse 20. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Paul calls you to obedience. You know, I discovered as a parent that all most parents want from their children is the respect that's due them. When your parents set limits, don't argue about it. When your parents set expectations for you, do your best to meet those expectations. Why are you supposed to obey your parents in everything? One reason is because it pleases them. It pleases your parents. But more important, Paul points out, it pleases God. If you are a young person who's given your life to Jesus Christ and you claim to be a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus, then you are expected to be more than just a son or daughter. You're to live your life as a Christian. And a Christian young woman or a Christian young man shares at least one responsibility with their mom and dad. And that responsibility is to be obedient to Christ. All of us. All of us have been called to be obedient. And that responsibility of obedience for children means you are obedient to your parents. So on this Mother's Day, we need to recommit ourselves to the support of our families. I don't need to tell you, families are falling apart in our nation today. You see it, I see it, you've experienced it. And so we need to commit ourselves, not just one day a year, but every day. We need to honor the ones who are often the backbone that holds our families together our mothers, our wives. Mothers, when we frustrate you, when we irritate you, and when we cause you to want to run into the room and shut the door and put a sign on it that says out of order. Try to remember that God's always there. <laughs> He's taking care of you. He is ready to supply everything you need to be a godly mother. That's what God's called us to as families. It needs to start right now.